council member Chi uh, Ase was elected in 2021, the youngest member of city council, elected at the age of 23. He uh, played a important role in organizing Black Lives Matter protests uh, during the George Floyd uprising here in New York City. He helped uh, organize protests in Brooklyn, and he's been uh, one of the really uh, forceful voices on city council with uh, the progressive bloc that has pushed back against uh, a lot of Mayor Adams' uh, austerity initiatives and and much more. Uh, Councilmember Chi Ase, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's Chi Ose. Chi Ose. Okay. I'm glad we're squared away on that. Uh, so, uh, first of all, um, it's been uh, a couple of weeks since the the, the, really the revelations about the, the killing of, uh, Tyree Nichols, uh, by the five police officers in Memphis, uh, came out. But your reaction to that and, and what kind of reverberations do you think it's having here in New York City? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the first word that comes to mind is frustration, right? I think since, uh, the uprisings in 2020, there was a lot of advocacy. Uh, across the country in terms of uh, reevaluating police budgets, not only here in New York City, but across the country. Um, And those analysis uh, came to a conclusion that many of these budgets uh, were bloated. Meanwhile, we see, you know, agencies like our education system, our infrastructure systems, mental health care, deeply uh, divested or deeply underfunded. Um, And that conversation uh, kind of was thrown out the window by the media, uh, by the Republican Party and by moderate Democrats. I think a lot of people during the presidential election and even during these past midterms, um, you know, were, were bamboozled by this idea that caring about police accountability um, or common sense uh, police reform and taking a deeper look at, at bloated police budgets uh, was something that uh, was radical. Um, and a lot of Democratic candidates that were running for office were um, afraid of, of doing the right thing um, and caring about police accountability or caring about uh, where our taxpayer dollars were going um, and just ignored uh, any type of accountability that should have been placed on uh, not only the NYPD, but uh, police uh, police agencies across the country. And I think because of that, you know, we've seen cases like, uh, you know, Tyree Nichols um, happen because we are turning a blind eye to uh, the police. And when we do that, um, we can sometimes see uh, their forces um, killing black and brown individuals. Right. And and one uh, initiative uh, coming out of the mayor's office that has alarmed a lot of uh, advocates uh, for reigning in uh, the NYPD and reigning in police power is this idea of having the police uh, re- remove homeless people and other people from the streets if, if they think they're, uh, you know, uh, mentally ill and, and, and taking them to hospitals, even against mm-hmm. their will. And there was a, a hearing uh, at city council yesterday about this. And we want to uh, go to a quick clip here, uh, mm-hmm. here, just a little bit of the uh, testimony that was uh, given yesterday. I ended up involuntarily hospitalized at Bellevue. I was placed in a room that had people screaming and yelling, and we were locked up like animals. Sending the NYPD to respond to people who are struggling with mental illness issues and already cost has already cost New Yorkers too many lives. Uh, so, Councilmember, your your thoughts on on, the, on these experiences people were describing and and whether you agree with the uh, Mayor Adams' uh, approach here? 
Yeah, I, I do not agree with Mayor Adams's approach. And, you know, I think my shift from being a protester to now, um, you know, being in office and having to communicate with different agencies, including, you know, the own my own uh, precincts, NYPD precincts here in the district, police officers, you know, do not even want to be the agency that goes out um, to, to, to tackle the homeless problem, um, for lack of a better word. I think uh, we need to look at, uh, you know, programs that already exist across the country, like in Portland, where there are specialized uh, mental health um, officials that are not a part of their police force um, that are trained in communicating um, and speaking to homeless populations over in Portland. You know, I think when we look at the police budget where we've seen, you know, over a hundred million dollars spent on lawsuits last year and over $360 million uh, spent on uh, overtime and then we compare that to the amount of investment that we're putting into uh, mental health resources um, and individuals that can address mental health in our city. Um, I think we're extremely lacking um, any investment in, in those that are professionals um, in addressing uh, both homeless populations as well as uh, the mentally ill here in, in New York City. Yeah, I so I do go, not uh, agree with that plan. Okay, so yeah, I want to go into some more of these policy ideas in a minute, but uh, since you raised it, uh, can you talk a little bit more about the sort of the process of uh, or the experience of going uh, from being a, an activist on the outside to being the city council member uh, who now represents uh, uh, New York's 36th district, uh, which encompasses uh, uh, Bedford, Stuyvesant, and the northern part of Crown Heights. What's that transition been like and the, and the new responsibilities you've taken on? Absolutely. Well, it's definitely been a steep learning curve. You know, I, I didn't have much experience in, in working in, in government nor politics before being in this position, but uh, this job is doable. You know, I think uh, what makes someone a good elected official is someone that uh, cares about their community um, and cares about the end results of helping someone uh, make their life just a little bit better. And I think I've been able to uh, learn how to, how to navigate many of these city agencies. Um, and I think that's been very different from, you know, being on the outside and uh, chanting on a, on a megaphone. But, um, you know, my values have stayed consistent. My mission has stayed consistent. And that's, uh, you know, using the power that I have as a local elected official uh, to make the lives better of my predominantly black and brown constituency. So, um I'm still yelling on, on megaphones and, and chanting in front of, of City Hall, but I'm also, uh, you know, moving through the the the, the city agencies that um, exist in the city um, to make a tenant's life better uh, while they're being harassed by their landlord um, or helping, you know, one of my seniors, uh, you know, with with trying to fix a, a crack on their sidewalk. So um, it's definitely been a, a major shift, but uh, my mission has stayed the same. And if you could just take us a, a little further into how that kind of how that happens, I mean, are, are you able to kind of pick up the the phone and call, uh, you know, a department and say, hey, you're not picking up the trash, or, you know, or, you know, on this corner of my district or, you know, pick up your phone and call, you know, uh, one of the housing departments and be like, you know, you got to get this landlord to knock it off. I mean, uh, how, how do you wield the power that you have? Absolutely. I think it's just, you know, uh, being consistent, right? Communicating with uh, InterGov at many of these city agencies, um, calling officials at these city agencies um, and making sure that the job gets done. You know, a lot of folks, um, you know, that I, I represent, my constituents um, will file a complaint in 311 and there will be no follow up. Right. 
um, and having, I guess, more of a bully pulpit than some of the people that I, I represent, I'm able to be consistent on the cases and the complaints that they have been filing uh, through the 311 or elsewhere uh, for years. You know, I think uh, you just have to be on the ball um, about the, the issues that your constituents have, um, while also uh, using your access to these city agencies um, and those that can address the certain problems that your constituents are, are dealing with. So, um, you know, I have, you know, there are a lot of great people that work for the city. Um, there are a lot of people that are dealing with problems in the city, but a lot of their problems aren't being heard. Um, and as a city council member, I, I guess I'm the middleman in terms of uh, connecting those problems to um, a city agency that can potentially get someone to their solution. And it, and you're not punished for uh, disagreeing with the mayor on various policies in terms of being frozen out or? No, no, I, I have not had experience in being frozen out by the admin. You know, I think their city has a lot of, 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 you know, employees and many of these employees are, are not doing this work for the paycheck. They're doing this work because they do care about uh, people. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of these agencies that I correspond with, whether it's HRA, DOB, uh, DSNY, uh, they have a lot of great people that work uh, for these agencies and, and really don't care about the politics um, okay. of it all, but really care about uh, the work that needs to get done. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about y- y- your vision for how the mm-hmm. uh, NYPD and policing in, in New York City could be reformed in a in a mm-hmm. healthy way and not just, uh, you know, sort of uh, as a uh, uh, just a, a sort of a throwaway a statement, but something that really would go deep into transforming policing. What what are some of the key things you you want to see happen? Absolutely. Well, well, first and foremost, uh, you know, I've been advocating for disbanding the NYPD Strategic Response Group. Um, a reason being for that is that you know the fiscal future of New York City is is not looking too bright right now. Uh, we're seeing cuts across every single agency uh, with the mayor's uh, pegs. Um, and every agency is, is at least the mayor is proposing to make a 3% cut uh, to many of these agencies. Um, the NYPD has not reached that 3% cut uh, that many of these other agencies are seeing. Um, yet there is fat to trim uh, within the police department. Um, and there are services that need to be kept within departments like Department of Education, um, like HRA, uh, you know, like DOB. Um, and when we take a look at, at what that fat is, um, an example of that is the NYPD Strategic Response Group. Um, I believe that the NYPD Strategic Response Group is a unconstitutional uh, unit within the, the NYPD. Uh, they have participated in breaking up nonviolence pro-abortion protests out of this year. They have supported um, and defended the Proud Boys, whether they've been, you know, fair evading down to them harassing those that have been advocating for Drag Queen Story Hour. Uh, we've seen a lot of violence that they've enacted against, uh, you know, nonviolent Black Lives Matter protesters during 2020. Um, I believe that the amount of money that we spend on, on this group is, is over $90 million. Um, and when we compare that to, again, many of the other cuts that we're seeing to crucial things that create public safety within the city, whether it is our public schools down to our public libraries, uh, we need to cut the funding um, of, of units like the Strategic Response Group in order uh, to create a safer uh, New York. Um, something else that I, I, I want to add, and I really want to applaud my colleague, Councilmember Charles Barron's bill um, on creating an elected civilian complaint review board. Um, the CCRB, as it is, 
um, is not effective in any way. It does not wield any teeth. Uh, most of the discretion um, of whether a complaint is followed through or not is, is comes from the, the police commissioner. I think already in her first year, she waived over 70 um, CCRB complaints, uh, which is ridiculous uh, when you look already at, you know, the over $100 million that have been spent. Yeah, something like um, only three police officers uh, who were found, uh, you know, to have uh, violated uh, their codes of conduct during the George Floyd protests right. uh, have had any sort of punishment against them. So it's like three out of 80 or, or, or we all saw the video th- during right. those protests that, that the police force was out of control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 sh- it's shining a blind eye on what I consider common sense. You know, I don't think anyone that is wielding a gun or is uh, a law enforcement officer uh, should have the power to, you know, abuse people of New York City without any level of accountability. And again, you know, how I started off our conversation in terms of the backlash of the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020 and how that's trickled down into, um, you know, this lack of accountability uh, or overarching lack of accountability on, on you know, policing in, in any regard um, is, you know, affecting how uh, you know, police are not being held accountable. So, um, I really am supporting my, my colleague, council member Charles Barron's bill. Um, you know, I think it's something that, that we need to see in this city. And then, of course, you know, this is more so out of my power, but on the state level, um, you know, we really need to repeal qualified immunity. We've seen all these elected officials, uh, you know, top notch elected officials in, in New York state, including the governor, uh, sharing all of these messages about, you know, Tyree Nichols and whatnot. Um, but will not advocate for, um, you know, ending qualified immunity. So uh, I'm hoping that we do see that come into fruition on the state level. Um, I, I try to remain op- to be an optimist, but we'll see how uh, it goes. Right. Uh, what What's it been like uh, working with a, a legendary figure like Charles Barron? I mean, you're the youngest member of the city council. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Charles Barron, uh, I mean, joined the Black Panther Party as mm-hmm. a teenager. Uh, I believe in the in the late nineteen uh, sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what what's that sort of collaboration been like? Yeah, I mean Charles, it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to work with uh, Councilmember Barron. I mean he is a living example of an elected official that has been unbought or unbossed, but has also been punished for being unbought and unbossed, um, and is consistent in his values and in his beliefs and. Um, I think everything that he says is, is, is speaking truth to power. Um, you know, I think, uh, the powers that be are, are, um, you know, not happy with individuals that, that do navigate this political landscape in a way such as that one. But, um, I have the utmost respect for, for that man. Um, and it's, it's such a, a honor again to, to be able to be his colleague. Right. Now you're the chair of the cultural affairs and libraries uh, committee mm-hmm. and, and, uh, in our remaining time we have, I want to go into that a little further because uh, the libraries are being seriously targeted with uh, budget cuts in the, mm-hmm. in the mayor's uh, uh, proposed budget, which uh, for mm-hmm. our listeners, uh, you know, the city council, the mayor, you all you'll will mm-hmm. ultimately resolve this in June. You have a June 30th deadline, so there's still a ways to go, but uh, uh, libraries being uh, targeted, uh, can you talk about the the kind of the scale of destruction that would occur uh, and uh, and why you f- feel like the libraries are worth defending. Absolutely. So I chaired a hearing with the libraries 
back in December. So like preliminary, preliminary, everything um, about the budget modification, how these cuts would affect the three library systems. And libraries are always one of the first targets when it comes to budget cuts. Um, and they have trimmed as much fat as they possibly could. Um, and now they're at, you know, the bone and any more cuts is going to affect staffing. Um, it's going to affect many of the amazing programs that they provide to our communities. Many people don't know this, but many of the migrants that are coming here because of the migrant crisis um, are coming to the library uh, for Wi-Fi, for, uh, you know, computer usage, for IDNYC. Uh, the libraries have always been, you know, there uh, during New York City's hardest times. You know, they've been there as vaccination sites, as COVID testing sites. Um, and now these cuts um, are one going to impact staffing. It's going to impact, uh, you know, uh, hours that the libraries can be open and it's going to impact the programs that they offer to the city. Um, I truly believe that libraries are, are a significant or play a significant role uh, in, you know, the public safety here in, in New York City in terms of providing solace for both our, our, our young folks here in the city, as well as our new New Yorkers, um, including the migrants. And, you know, the, the systems have already, the three library systems have already said that they are, are you know, they're at the bone in terms of, um, you know, cuts that have been made. And any more cuts are significantly going to impact the three library systems of uh, New York City. And again, I, I think these cuts are, um, if I'm not mistaken, under $40 million, you know, and, and when we, we look again at the lawsuits that are uh, accumulating from the NYPD and, and the overtime, as well as overtime, as well as overtime and, we're, um, and compare overtime that going from four, like something like $450 million last mm -hmm. year uh, on track for more than 800 million this year. And I can tell you, right. I, we've all seen the cops standing around scrolling their, mm -hmm. their cell phones or, mm -hmm. and you just kind of wonder like what is going on mm -hmm. here and why, why we have to uh, fork so much money out for this. Exactly, John. And I don't even consider this radicalism or any, I don't even want to throw any ideological ism on the fact that we are throwing our taxpayer dollars at overtime and at lawsuits in a time where the fiscal future of New York City is looking grim. This is common sense to me. And I'm really hoping that, you know, uh, my colleagues have the, the same um, outlook at, on this um, as, as I do, because uh, we're seeing the impacts that it's going to have uh, on our libraries, on our mental health care systems, as well as our public schools. Right. And, and going back to the to the libraries, do you have a sense that your uh, fellow city council members are ready to fight for the fight for the libraries? I mean, almost every council member would have a library in their district, I think. So mm -hmm. uh, do you feel like you're going to be able to marshal uh, sort of a united front here? So I'm, I'm, I, when we first saw those cuts, uh, during the budget mod, I, I did get a lot of outreach from, uh, many of my colleagues across, you know, the politic, political ideological spectrum in terms of how they were very uncomfortable with seeing these cuts. Um, and I'm hoping with, you know, uh, those feelings that they shared with me, as well as the advocacy campaigns that I'm going to be pushing with, you know, my partners in the library systems and DC 37, since many of their members are a part of that union, um, you know, we're going to do a lot of advocacy and pushing up against those cuts. Um, the closer we get to, uh, you know, these hearings, um, as well as the, the final vote on the budget. And is there anything our, our, our listening audience uh, can do to, uh, impact, uh, and, and support 
libraries? Sure. Yeah. I mean, keep your eyes out for when those rallies are happening. The more uh, folks that can show up and, and be loud with us, the better. Um, support your libraries. Go to your libraries. Um, be nice to your librarians. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, when the time comes, um, make sure your council members on the on the right page when it comes to being a, a champion and a fighter for libraries. Right. And we just have one more minute here. But talking about uh, council members being on the right side of things, last year the mayor successfully pushed an austerity budget with deep cuts, uh, more than $400 million in public schools, among other cuts. You were one of only six council members uh, who opposed that. Uh, for, uh, I believe 44 voted for it. Uh, can you quickly give us a sense of what happened and, and, and uh, this uh, sort of collapse of the progressive block in particular uh, happened three weeks out from the deadline. There, there was plenty of time to to push back, but what what happened and wh- why do you think things will be differently this year? Have people uh, learned a lesson from last year? You know, I can only speak for myself, John. Um, but I, you clearly must have observed a lot. I mean, I have observed a lot, but you know, I, I think I voted um, how I said I was going to vote when I, I I ran for office and decided to run for office and. At the time, I just felt like the budget didn't give me, um, you know, the full picture of, of everything that was happening. Um, and, and that's why I voted in the way that I did. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, or I'm hopeful that, you know, in this next budget, everyone votes in a way, uh, where they think that they are creating the best city that, that needs to be. Okay. Well, we will leave it there. Uh, we thank you, Council Member. Chi Ose for joining us, representing District uh, 36 in uh, Bed-Stuy in Northern Crown Heights, joining us uh, this evening on WBAI Radio. And with that, we'll be wrapping up uh, this week's Independent News Hour. One more time, that phone number to support the station, 212-209-2950, or give number 2, WBAI.org. I want to thank uh, Amber Gagarian, uh for helping with the the show and also our board operator, Sean Rose. And we'll leave with this uh, song uh, uh, by Maluma called Yarab. Yeah.